culture lovers. This is Jules, your host of the All Things Iceland podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. I was fortunate to have the opportunity to chat with Alda Sigmundsdottir, an Icelandic author and journalist that has her thumb on the pulse of Icelandic society. Even though Alda was born in Iceland, she grew up in Canada and lived in a few different countries. The insight that she shared with me about Iceland and its people was enlightening and sometimes surprising. We had such a great time chatting that we ended up talking for an hour. In order to keep these episodes relatively short, I have broken this interview up into two parts. During this episode, which is part one, you will hear about the challenges Alta faced when she moved back to Iceland, how insular Icelandic society is, how she decides what to write about, what the most important thing tourists should keep in mind when they visit Iceland, and what Icelandic people really think of visitors to their country. I hope you enjoy listening to part one of this interview. Part two will be released next week, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. If you want to connect with Alta, I've inserted a link to her website and social media channels in the show notes which is on my website, from foreigntofamiliar.com. If the platform you are listening to this podcast on allows you to leave a review, please do so, if you haven't already. Alta, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today to discuss many topics that we have because you're a multifaceted individual. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. And I'm yes. fortunate to uh, run across you on Instagram, mm-hmm. connect, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm excited about this interview for sure. Yeah, me too. Great. So let's just jump right into it then. Yeah. I'm curious, that even though I read that you were born in Iceland, you lived in Canada and some other countries for many years. Mm-hmm. So what was it like moving back to Iceland? Well, I mean, I could write a whole book about it. And in fact, I sort of did. Okay. <laughs> uh, the Little Book of the Icelanders, which was sort of my first uh, mainstream book, I guess. But it was, um, on the one hand, it was a relief to come here because I didn't have to spell my name anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot tell you, you know, every time I said my name when I lived abroad, it was like, what? (laughs) Can you spell that for me, please? (laughs) So, uh, you know, fitting in after having been an immigrant somewhere uh, for, you know, over 20 years was, was definitely, it was a good feeling. Uh, on the other hand, I, I moved here basically as an outsider. So, you know, having lived uh, so many years abroad and being socialized as a North American, really, mm-hmm. yeah. I sort of ran into all these sort of weird uh, unwritten rules and conventions and customs that um, yeah. were really unfamiliar to me, even though I was, you know, part of the tribe. Right, yeah. And, um, and I think what sort of compounded it was that, you know, I am Icelandic. I had and have an Icelandic name, Icelandic passport. Um, so, I, you know, I walked like a duck. I talked like a duck. <laughs> but I wasn't actually a duck. Um, but people treated me like I was, yeah. the Icelanders. So they just expected me to know, wow. you know, all these little, you know, social conventions and yeah. things. 
And so I, you know, I, I think I stepped on a few toes and there were a lot of sort of faux pas <laughs> that I had. Uh, and it was um, a little bit confusing, <laughs> to say the least. Were people patient at all? Once they got to understand that you'd grown up somewhere else. Well, I didn't, they didn't always get the chance to understand right. that. Okay. I mean, it was just, you know, I was sort of in a situation, a social situation or something. And, yeah. and there wasn't really time to explain any of that. You know, people, yes, of course, the people that knew me right. and knew my situation, but, you know, it wasn't always the case. Okay. But, you know, that uh, turned into, as I mentioned, turned into a book called The Little Book of the Icelanders. So I actually wrote about the Icelanders Great, and my yeah. observations of them. And that turned out to be very fortuitous for me. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's fascinating. And I, I think that's so interesting to think of an Icelandic person coming back and are feeling like an outsider, knowing that you have all these things that would make you traditionally Icelandic. And were you speaking the language as well? I was speaking the language, but I was quite rusty by this yeah, point. Okay. But, you know, I understood the language, and that was my the huge advantage that I had, of course, yeah, over absolutely. someone like yourself right. who <laughs> moves here as, you know, completely as a foreigner. Right. And, I mean, you do have an advantage because you're married to an Icelander, so you sort of have an in. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think Icelandic society is quite insular yes. for someone who, you know, moves here without any connections. And Absolutely. I've heard that from a lot of people. I've met a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, throughout the, you know, 20 or so years that I've lived here since uh, I moved back, mm-hmm. um, who've sort of passed through, come here and just couldn't hack it, and so right. they left again. Yeah. And I, and I get it. I totally get it, yeah. you know, because um, as you probably know, Icelanders are very, they're very family oriented. So they do a lot of things with their families yes. and they form their friendships very early. Yep. So, uh, you know, even as early as preschool. Yeah, it's intense. And, uh, <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah. So like my daughter who grew up here, mm-hmm. um, she has this group of friends. There's maybe, I don't know, eight or ten of them. Mm-hmm. They really stick together and they're cl- very close. And uh, and three of them actually met in preschool, oh. and some of them in pub, you know, in elementary school, right. and then in high school. It's sweet. It is sweet, and it's it's. I think yeah. it's healthy up to a point, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like this is my tribe, yeah, and it's us against the world. That's right. So wow. it make it gives you a sense of belonging. Yeah. You know, it gives you a sense of security. I think in the world. Um, and then, of course, on the other hand, you get things like what you get in Icelandic society, which is nepotism right. and cronyism and, you know, people scratching each other's backs. And that is actually, unfortunately, a problem in yeah. a small society like this. Absolutely. That's really fascinating insight, especially with the, the friends thing, because I noticed to a certain degree mm. that about the friends part, the family part for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. that is I, most of the things we're doing <laughs> during the weekend, my husband and I, yeah. is we're going to a brunch, we're going to a birthday party, we're going to things like that, which I enjoy. Yeah. But when I thought about a friend who was like, I love Iceland, I'm going to move here. And I was like, ooh, yeah. I don't think so. And yeah. The holidays, they're just not like inviting anybody in. That's it. It's it's very much family. Yeah. Everything is very sort of strictly ordained in yeah. terms of ritual and, you know, so exactly like yeah. you, you don't just invite someone over for christmas right exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might get some uh, very weird stares maybe a chat or something somebody <laughs> talking to you yeah. so yeah that's that's really fascinating to share at least for people who might have thought that because Icelandic people are quite friendly yeah but it's to a point right in terms of how integrated you become 
Exactly. Yeah. And but when you do make friendships and you know, once you are sort of part of or accepted <laughs> in accepted into the tribe yeah. or into the, the group, then they're very loyal. Yeah. And you know, they'll stick with you through thick and thin and you know, they'll be there for you. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah. But it's a little different. It's it's something to get used to. Okay. Just keep I'll keep that in mind for sure. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of the topics of your books, mm-hmm. they've how they have included giving advice to visitors of Iceland, which we're kind of doing a little bit right now, right? Yeah. Sharing some some insight people might not be aware of. Uh-huh. Gripping fiction, mythology, culture, and issues in Icelandic society. With so many changes happening in Iceland quite often, how do you decide what to write about? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's... It's cliche, but honestly, <laughs> uh, I write when I feel inspired, you Fair know, enough. whenever I feel strongly about something or I, I feel like I have something to share that I really want to share, right. uh, I'll write about it. Um, so, and actually part of it is also that, um, I've always used writing just as a way of processing things for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's just been my thing, you know, ever since I was little, Great. And so a lot of that, like my first book, which, and my books have actually sort of grown organically out of a blog that I used to write, uh, which was called the Iceland Weather Report. Yeah. Okay. We're reading about this. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't uh, write it anymore, but I mean, I started it when everyone was starting a blog, you know, blogs were a thing. (laughs) And, um, and it was just fun. It was just sort of my little sort of outlet to have, um, you know, my space for yeah. being creative and writing and whatever. And it was just about like blogs were in those days, you know, whatever was going on during the day mm-hmm. and, and whatever. And then I'd been writing that for, I don't know, maybe three or four years. And then we had the economic meltdown. Mm-hmm. And um, so when that happened, it was just absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It was such a, a, a crazy time. And um, it was just such a shock. Like, I don't, think most people anticipated that this was going to happen. I mm, certainly yeah. did not. And it was just like a crash course for everyone in Iceland in, you know, international finance, economics, like all these things that I'd never really, I had no interest in. Right, yeah. I'd never really thought about. And all of a sudden you just, you're trying to make sense of everything that's going on. And I, um, and you know, not least all the stuff that was dredged up that we had no awareness of, like all the corruption and, and stuff that was going on. And, uh, and I started to write about that in my blog. And, um, and it was just my way of more or less trying to figure it out for myself. And then I also noticed that, you know, because Iceland was sort of the first country to be hit by that, you know, serious mm-hmm. economic crisis of 2008. Yep. And um, there were certain aspects of the Icelandic meltdown that were you know very unique to Iceland right for example our banks were had grown to like 10 times times the size of our economy and you know that had not that did not happen in any other country yeah it's like the red flags were there (laughs) but yeah they were definitely there (laughs) but um the whole world was looking at Iceland because they said you know this is the canary in the coal mine right Iceland's going down we're all going to go down too what are they doing like what is happening and there was such a need for information right. from Iceland. And it wasn't coming out of Iceland because people here were talking in Icelandic. Yeah. It was all behind the language barrier, except there were a few people like myself. Yeah. I blogged in English. 
So uh, all of a sudden, my blog is getting all this attention from all over the world, and you know, all these it's being quoted in the media, and you know, like big international media, right. people coming here wanting to interview me and stuff like that. And um, so that was in a way good <laughs> for me, but it, that was you know, I felt very both it was good therapeutic for me to write about it. But I also wanted to share with the world like yeah. what was happening here because Absolutely. people just had no idea. And, uh, and my books have sort of basically been based on the same premise. You okay. know, that I've, I've been fascinated by something because I'm also learning and I've been learning in this sort of time that I've been here mm-hmm. about Icelandic society mm-hmm. and about my people and about the history and mm-hmm. how that has affected you know, the nation. And so I'm always going a little bit deeper in my understanding of, you know, my own society right, yeah. as the outsider, uh, the outsider slash insider. Right, yeah. You're always uh, tipping on the line. Yeah, like one foot in each yeah, exactly. and, uh, and I've somehow become this sort of unwittingly become this interpreter between mm. these two cultures. And um, in, in, in sense, I've been trying to interpret it for myself. And, uh, and along the way, I've sort of turned into an interpreter for others yeah. as well. What's great is that your audience gets to grow with you. Yeah. Right? So as you learn, I they guess. learn. And I yeah. think that's really awesome because that it's a good, awesome. you know, I'm sure people will have their opinions because there's, it's so much that doesn't get out of Iceland because of the, you were saying like people are speaking in Icelandic and they can miss that part. Yeah. So it's nice to at least have a source that is very transparent that I'm also kind of learning about what's going on here too and I'm going to share it with you and, and try to figure this out you know and as I figure it out then you at least can evolve your thinking around Iceland and Icelandic people because yeah. I mean everyone was trying to survive and your way of surviving it seems was sharing which is yeah. pretty amazing yeah. most people like get more insular <laughs> when something so devastating well, happens well I think most of Icelandic society did become more insular yeah. and they, they were you know a lot of people were not comfortable with what I was sharing yeah it's hurtful because it's embarrassing it is embarrassing it's sort of like the alcoholic home right yeah. <laughs> you, want to keep, you want to keep the facade yeah, yeah. when everyone just to see right. you know everything nothing to see here everything's fine right. and it's not you know right. it's horribly dysfunctional yeah and um, but the, the other thing I think about me was you know I had no political affiliation I was not you know I was completely independent and so right. people trust trusted me right. as a source and there were not many media outlets and there still aren't today in Iceland that you know report the news right. or you know just independently right. uh, the way they see it everyone kind a lot of, of somehow, propaganda yeah, exactly There's a lot of propaganda find themselves on usually one side of the fence, unfortunately, meaning like choosing to go with the major party or to represent a view that's really biased and things like that. So, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I guess that happens though in, in small society. It happens <laughs> in every society, yeah. I guess. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, it certainly happens here. Yeah. So you've, um, it's been a little over a year since you published the little book of tourists in Iceland. Yes. <laughs> Tips and tricks and what Icelanders really think of you, which I'm sure really intrigued a lot of people. They're like, what do you think? <laughs> well, Are we that That was bad? the idea yeah, that, that like, people would get intrigued by. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think uh, is still one of the most important things that tourists should keep in mind when they're coming to Iceland since you've written that book? Um... Showering naked at the pool. 
That is hands down the most important thing that tourists need to keep in mind. When you go to the swimming pool, and I recommend that you do, Mm -hmm. you must shower naked before you get into the water. And it does not count to shower that morning at home. (laughs) We do have shower police. They make sure that you do that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah. (laughs) I'm an, I'm being a little facetious, yeah. but, <laughs> but, still a good but, point, it, but it's definitely a very good point. Um, I think um, respect the environment mm-hmm. because Absolutely. Icelandic environment is very delicate. It's uh, we're far north, so it takes a very long time for vegetation to to replenish itself and repair itself. Um, and respect the, the culture and the yeah. people, you know. And I think that's just good advice for everywhere where you travel um and the thing what what we've seen lately or you know in the past maybe six or so years here is that there are a lot of um, low-cost airlines flying here Mm -hmm. when the tourist boom started there were only a few airlines that actually flew to iceland and it was quite costly yeah um it could be expensive and so we would get the kind of tourists that really wanted to come and you know maybe had dreamt of coming and saved them whatever um, they typically had done quite a lot of research. Mm-hmm. They knew what equipment they needed to bring. They knew about the climate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they were informed. And what we tend to get now is that, you know, people see deals online. Uh, they've seen the, the pictures on Instagram. Right. And they think, oh, you know, four-day getaway to Iceland, let's yeah. do it. Sunny and photos it, is what they usually see. Unfortunately, yeah, exactly, the sunny photos. <laughs> So they, you know, they they go hiking with yeah. sneakers on, yeah. even up on the glacier, and you know they need to be rescued. They just, yeah. you know, it's. Um, or trying to go swim in the beach, some like in Beak or something, where it's like the waves are. Awful. Like, yeah, they're even, they're killing people. Yeah, yeah. No, you you wouldn't go go swimming no. there. You, you're not even supposed to go close to the water. Right. Exactly. Because uh, they sneak away. I mean, two people have been killed in yeah. the last couple of years there. So there are a lot of things to keep in mind. I wrote yeah. about you know the, the main dangers in my book yeah. um but um yeah so listen to the locals and when they say don't do something don't do it right if there's a road that's closed do not go there um don't get yourself into a situation you need to be rescued because the search and rescue teams they're absolutely overwhelmed right. these days they're volunteer uh, they run on a volunteer basis right. so they're not funded by the government or anything and these are just normal people who are trying to you know yeah. go to work and have their normal lives and you know when they have to be called out to rescue people maybe two three two three times a week um it can be you know pretty heavy so there's that um yeah i'd say that was sort of the main I, thing. I think that's that is very helpful uh, mainly because it's true uh, with i work in a tourist company at a tourist company right. or adventure company right. and it is baffling what people do not know or are not aware of um, even weather-wise yeah. that part i yeah. think is is unfortunate because they'll come with clothing that's not waterproof or you know it's just like it's just like you have to have that's at least a rain jacket and some rain pants you know like this yeah. idea that iceland in the summer is going to be amazing weather or mm-hmm. in the winter you're just gonna snap your fingers and the northern lights are going to show up like yeah, exactly <laughs> it's very so yeah yeah the clue is in the name Iceland. <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> um and weather conditions here i mean they can be really extreme right. 
really extreme, as you probably know. Like yeah. having been through a couple of winters here, mm-hmm. I, I presume. Uh, you survived know, the, two so far. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that you know, very very stormy weather, yeah. and not even in the winter. I mean, yeah. it can change in the summer as well. Yeah. Very you know quickly, and I mean, it was just uh, two or three weeks ago that. Um, there, there's a mountain pass called Finnbarðahals, mm-hmm. uh, which runs from Skoa. I just trekked that this you week, did. last weekend. You did? Did you really? Yes. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It it's is an beautiful. amazing trek. When the weather is good. Right? <laughs> exactly. But the weather yeah. can change. I mean, you go up onto a very high elevation yeah. between two glaciers, and the weather can change just in the blink of an eye. And, uh, and, and people were warned that there was going to be bad weather, and they went anyway. And they had, I think... Rescue teams had to go three times in a 24-hour period That's to awful. rescue people up there. And, you know, like I say, when the locals tell you, do not go somewhere because the weather's bad, don't do it. You right. know, do not think... <laughs> My dog just shook herself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you don't, you know, just don't go there. Yeah. Um, and because they know better. Yeah. And you, know, you may think that you can handle it but very often, you yeah. know, you just weather conditions in Iceland are different from many places in the world. We're very far north, yeah. so yeah. Agreed. And mm-hmm. like you said, it's not fair to the rescue teams because now they have to take time from their family, put their lives in danger to save you. That's right. And yeah, yeah it's pretty intense. Yeah. What about the Iceland Icelandic people? Have their views changed at all since in this year? Period. I mean, the amount of tourists is still increasing for the most part, and now we have different groups of people coming. Mm-hmm. So, are there any different views that you're hearing from Icelandic people about tourism in Iceland? Um, I mean, the whole issue of tourism is complicated yeah. for the Icelanders because, I mean, it's not all bad, right? I mean, tourism has it's done wonders for our economy. It saved our economy after the economic meltdown. So, there's that. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, the downtown area after the, the meltdown was just, I mean, it was like almost like a ghost town. Wow. There were, you know, storefronts that were boarded up and whatnot. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, with tourism, there's life and, you know, it's just a thriving scene down there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, be, it's been a lot. It's been such a, a massive increase in such a short time. Mm. And so people are struggling. Right. Um, we haven't been able to build the facilities, for example. So people are doing, you know, their business in all kinds of places. And, you know, I mean, there's just a a lot of negative news, unfortunately. And, uh, showering at the car wash, like showering at the car wash, uh, (laughs) exactly. Camping in people's backyards. Um, so we get these news every day and we, we see these things almost every day. Um, I mean, just last night, just down here, close to my house, down by the sea, there was someone that pitched a tent. You no know? Way. Yeah, no where way. people go for you know their stroll, <laughs> their evening strolls or whatever. And this is ridiculous. Yeah. So um, we get all these negative news, and uh, unfortunately, it seems that you, there there has been an increase in people are just getting fed up. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think worries people a lot is the influx of English mm. into, you know, because Icelandic is obviously a very small and vulnerable language. Right. There are, it's spoken by only a very few people. And now English is almost taking over mm. in Iceland as the, the language okay. of choice. I mean, you know, you, so you 
all the menus are in English when you mm -hmm. go to a restaurant. Uh, when you go to a restaurant or cafe or somewhere, you could, it's very rare that you can speak Icelandic anymore mm -hmm. because all the servers are foreign. In the downtown especially. Especially in the yeah. downtown. But even outside of, of mm -hmm. Iceland, you know, if I'm trying to book accommodation out in the country, uh, more often than not, I'll call and it will be someone speaking English. Wow. And they can't speak Icelandic. They cannot, no. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and I, I've noticed that people are getting, you know, the... the it's it's not nice. I no. mean, it's you know, it's it's your country, and it feels like it's just it's being invaded. Right. So it's a delicate subject, um, and it's not something that's going to get resolved overnight. No. Um, major part of the problem is that there are no clear policies um, on the you know on the part of our, our policymakers. Right. The politicians um, have really been dragging their feet in. Just formulating a clear, consistent policy for tourism. Like, right. what do we want to do? Like, where do we want to go? How do we want to receive these people? What do we need to do in order to, you know, regulate it in some yeah. way? It's like and building some type of infrastructure around yeah. tourism. Well, better, maybe. Infrastructure. Yeah. Do we want to limit the number of people who come here? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, just what do we want to do? Right. Do we want um, English to be the official language? Or? I doubt that will no, be the not. case for many, many decades, exactly. if so, ever, ever. So and, is there, yeah. you know, do we need to, uh, do, you know, um, should there be a policy that people can only get employment um, mm. visas if they speak Icelandic, you know? I doubt that will happen yeah. also because, as you probably know, Icelandic is a very difficult language. It is. I'm learning it. Learn. And... I have my days <laughs> where I'm just like, wow, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah, it's rough. But then I also have my days where I'm just like, wow, okay, I'm glad that I actually understood this. It's it's a breakthrough, you know? So it's a process like anything else. And I think it's only fair that when you decide to move somewhere that you try your best to assimilate mm -hmm. in a way that still you're not losing your identity completely, but you're at least being respectful of the culture and exactly. and communicating. I mean, I, it would be harder for me with my mother-in-law, for instance. Like she speaks English just fine. Mm -hmm. But there's certain ways that she expresses herself differently in Icelandic. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to be able to understand that and mm -hmm. to do the same with her. So mm -hmm. I I appreciate it. And I'm, this is my home now, you know. Right. So if it's my home, then I'm, I'm going to extend myself. And I yeah. think other people are also interested, a lot of tourists, but sometimes... Not tourists, but people who move here. It's yeah. just they might be, you know, coming here for the summer. Well, this is it. You know, they're migratory workers, right? Yeah. And so they don't have the same, you know, investment in learning Icelandic right. as someone like you, for example. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a multifaceted, very complicated, overarching issue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with many sort of different, yeah, levels of of complication and and things that need to be. Examine and resolved, and right. but I mean, hopefully we'll get there. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of there are a lot of creative people in Iceland. I think that they just came together. They could come up with a, a solution that at least could push the issue forward instead of being stagnant. Yeah. Because I think unfortunately they don't want to go into politics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame them for that either. I don't to either. be fair, but hopefully mm -hmm. it can be a community effort mm -hmm. to get there. I hope you enjoyed listening to part one of this interview with Alta Sigmundsdóttir. Remember that part two will be released next week, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing more of this awesome interview with you next week. Schaumst flötlega.